Today I get to talk with Rob Booker. Now Rob is an author and has been a professional trader in currencies and currently trades stocks on his own, runs his own website, robbooker.com, and uh, has, a, has an interesting story and I, we have a real fun conversation. Um, what you don't hear in this afterwards, we were talking cars a little bit. He also happens to be a sports car owner, but that's not part of our conversation today. We're gonna talk about trading and we're going to share it with you. Welcome to A Talk with Traders. All right, Rob, welcome to the Bearable Traders Talk with Traders podcast. Really happy to have you here with me today. Thanks, Peter. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, look, I've got some viewers, I'm sure, that... Uh, know you and have seen you online and seen some of the material that you've produced. We probably have others that aren't familiar with you and uh, your, your backstory, which I think is fascinating, and some of the, the amazing experiences you've had. So why don't we start there? Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Okay. Um, hey, everybody. I'm super happy to be here. I'm a fan of the show. I'm honored to be here. My name is Rob, and uh, I got started trading about 21 years ago now, which I guess, I guess it does feel like 21 years. Like, you know, when people say, man, it seems you know, like that was yesterday. It doesn't look like it. It, it like, doesn't just seem like, like it was me, yesterday. It doesn't show at all. Yeah, like it feels like it was 100 years ago and I thought I would be way better at it by now. Um, and yeah, I got started 21 years ago. I uh, went to law school, never practiced law. Um, started trading to get my, you know, what a great idea. I started trading to help myself get out of debt. <laughs> What right. a great idea. Sarcastic, of course. Um, and then, you know, had some of the same ups and downs and storylines that a lot of people experience as they trade because they have to, not necessarily because they want to. And um, now I, now I, you know, still trade. I trade my own account. I don't manage money anymore. Uh, trade my own account. Um, I do a bunch of YouTube videos and and other kinds of stuff. And I, I sell stuff to traders as well, just to be, you know, perfectly transparent. A lot of it is ultra super cheap. Um, and some of it is not, but, uh, so I split my time. I trade my account in the morning with a group of people, record videos and do a show also and, and stuff like that in the afternoons. And then of course, just like you, you know, I'm in this for the lifestyle and somehow I like the lifestyle of talking to you and traders <laughs> as much it, as anything else. So. It, it's it's great, right? Like it's nice to be able to, it's a way that as a trader, we can give back other than financially, right? We can actually help yeah. pay it forward, if you will. And I like money a lot. Like I'm really a <laughs> huge fan of money. I'm a huge fan of having savings. I grew up, lived in my car when I was a teenager. Um, I, I did not grow up wealthy. I did not, I got, I was, 37, really before I really made any significant amount of money, um, you know, anything lasting or, you know, sort of semi-permanent that I could save away after paying things off. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of just never having debt and saving as much as I can and having multiple streams of revenue. It's a really, like, it's a big deal to me. And um, right. so, yeah, I, I also, I, I like, I like doing all this stuff also because it's a business and it's a, it's a really, it's a great business. But I do. I love. I love talking about this stuff. I love meeting people like you. I love meeting your listeners and those kinds of things as well. Right. Well, look. So as you said, you've been 21 years doing this. Started back in 2000. Uh, I understand when you started, you were more of a currency trader than a commodity trader. 
Yeah, I went. <laughs> so I went to law school in the San Francisco Bay Area. Hmm. And instead of going to class, this is the abbreviated, <laughs> this is the promotional version of my story. Okay, so this right. is the promo, the, the short version. Right. Instead of going to class, I went and walked around Bear Stearns and asked hedge fund managers, like two person hedge funds that were leasing space from Bear Stearns. I would say, well, you guys need anything. And I, my wife at the time worked at Bear Stearns. And so I got access to that and I would go around meeting all these people and I just caught the bug. And when I got out of law school and I I walked out of my first job um, and I decided that I wanted to trade and I was really going to, really going to make an effort at it. I called the head of correspondent clearing at Bear Stearns. That's the guy that a hedge fund goes to. And that's the guy that sets up the office, the computers, the phone lines, and clears all the trades for them. Yep. It's prime. So he was the, the guy running the prime brokerage at Bear Stearns in San Francisco. And I said, Ron, Ron Suber, you can look him up on LinkedIn. Hmm. I said, Ron, I think I want to make a go of this and I want to be a trader. And he's, first of all, you're an idiot. First of all, <laughs> I set up all these interviews for you why didn't you take one of these jobs? Like I set up all these interviews for you with these securities firms. Right. I didn't tell him that none of them hired me. Uh, is what is wrong with you? Second of all, whatever you do, don't trade currencies. This is year 1999, year 2000. It's right. Like don't trade currencies. It's, it's sharks. It's just like, it's, it's, it's the worst market you can possibly trade. There's enormous amounts of leverage. Like what? What did you say? <laughs> I just stu- everything was white noise after that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. so I was drawn to currencies because of the leverage. Back in those days, it was common to get five hundred to one leverage. So you put up a thousand bucks, you control a five hundred thousand dollar position. So you put up a thousand dollars, and you're making fifty fifty bucks per point of movement or whatever, or 500. No no, no risk there, really. I mean, that's... Right. I mean, $500 per point of movement. I mean, it was just, it was ridiculous. But that's where I, that's where I cut my teeth. That's where I learned how to trade was in that market. And it came with all of the problems of dealing with a shady market and shady players and shady brokers and bad software. And I have all kinds of, like, we could talk, uh, there's a few (laughs) stories from that time period that are absolutely ridiculous. And it was great. It was a great way to learn. Um, but as the regulations increased, I managed money up until 2012 or so. And then the Dodd-Frank legislation, as that was all coming into effect, trading currency and managing money as a currency trader became almost impossible to do. Right. So um, look, you got me curious now, like give, give me one of the, the short, crazy stories from, from that time. All right. So yeah, like back in the day, the currency market would move like we've seen the stock market move in the last year. The right. currency market was moving every day, like G, like um, GameStop moved. Like right. every day, there was a GameStop every week. It was, <laughs> it was all over the place. So it was just crazy. And of course, that drew people with an impulsive trading mindset like me. Um, and so I built the first robot I ever built was with this guy named Nick Barker. I can't believe I remember this guy's name. Back in 2004, 2005, I built this robot. And the robot would attempt on the MetaTrader platform to trade outside of the price. So like okay. in futures or whatever, you can, you make an offer and you right. see if it picked up. Well, you can't do that on, you're not supposed to be able to do that. And we went to every broker and we ran this robot. And what it would do is it would try to trade outside of the price by two or three ticks or pips or whatever. It would try to trade outside of the price. And then it would immediately try to close the trade because you, 
it, it didn't work anywhere except for Interbank FX, which I can't believe I'm saying this, the name of this firm. <laughs> so we think, well, great. So it's working. So we put $2,000 in and we made $1,000. We made 50% right. return 50%. in one day. And we yeah. immediately, we would say, we offer to pay three pips less than what it's trading at. And we immediately close it. So it's all being closed in milliseconds. Right. And we go, well, look, the next day we're like, well, that worked. Let's ramp that, let's ramp that bad boy up. And so we've turned $2,000 into $6,000. And we're like, all right, let's go nuts. The next day we, we put two that, we kept our $2,000 in the account and we ran it up to $18,000. And we're like, this is great. And at this point we're sending like 500 trade requests per wow. minute. Per so minute. the next day we go, the next day we go, let's try to turn, try now, now this is where everybody gets into trouble. This is where everybody gets into trouble. It's like, let's try to turn $2,000 into $50,000. <laughs> so we sent 2,000 orders per second. We just shoved and we shut Interbank FX down for three days. We, we blew the whole thing. We blew the whole thing. So <laughs> this doesn't end here. The story is even worse. It's even uh, worse. Fast forward to 2009. 2008, and I go to Utah to interview for the job as the TV guy and the chief market strategist at right. Interbank FX. And all the executives are in the room, we're all around the conference table, and we're all doing some pictures of what we would do and what the t TV studio is gonna look like. And I go, oh, I got a story. <laughs> you guys are never gonna believe this. And I told this story. The whole room, the whole room went quiet and they're like, you cost us like $250,000 on that day. Like oh, we man. were refunding customers. We we're shut down for three days. You blew the systems. And they said, but you know, you did, you did expose a flaw in the software. I'm like, see, that's what I was, that's what I'm all about. <laughs> that's what I was trying that's for. That's what I'm here for now. Yeah, I was like, and so You're I, welcome. Said, I literally said, guys, guys, before it costs you another $250,000, Let's split the difference. Give me $125,000 and I'll just leave. <laughs> I'll just go. We won't even have to. And that lightened the mood. And I went on to have an illustrious, I went on to have an illustrious 90-day career at Interbank FX. Oh, um, man. You, so you yeah. started with a shakedown. I can't imagine why it didn't didn't last. <laughs> but we were, we, I ret those are lifelong friendships. I just realized I wasn't cut out for cubicle living. Um, right. Or office well, living. So. I, I did that for decades and I, I understand it's um, it's uh, you know you, you have to have some Dilbert in you to, to make it yeah. through that so I went I went into the office like near the end and I go does everybody come in every day <laughs> like even if they don't have anything they're doing like I mean do you like you know this is I'd never really had a job, you know, as, a, <laughs> that, as an adult. That is how an office works. Yeah. Yeah. They were like, yeah, you dummy. And by the way, we have a, we have a dress code here. We have a dress code. And I'm like, yeah, man. I, I'm oh, dressed. I'm dressed. And they're like, <laughs> what more do you want? You're such an idiot. They were just such an idiot. And then, wow. I mean, there's so many stories. Like some, some woman there was like, I've decided you're taking me to lunch today. And I was like, is this what happens inside of a corporation? Is this like, I don't want to flirt with anybody at the office. So I flew to Paris. Like I literally got on a plane and went to Paris. I'm like, I don't know how to deal with these uncomfortable office dynamics. I'm out of here. I'm done. I'm going to Paris. <laughs> so I went to Paris and met with a bunch of customers. Like I literally just went to the airport in my clothes, my low dress policy clothes. And so that I had a great time. Those are lifelong friends. And Todd Crosland, wow. 
founded Interbank FX is, is a, is a wonderful man. Um, so. So, so somehow you managed to get through that to get yourself back to a trading mindset <laughs> and, yes. and, and get to trading. And along the way, you managed to write a couple of books. Um, one that uh, your, your older book, Adventures of a Currency Trader, you wrote it in the style of a fable. I wanted to ask you about that. And uh, I'm sort of like, this is almost a non sequitur from your story. But it, I found it fascinating that th this book that you wrote um, because it was about that currency time frame, right. but you you instead of sort of writing a practical how to guide or a technical manual, you made it a fables. To me, it was sort of like if everybody's familiar with the the wealthy barber, or it was in that type of mindset where you had your your main protagonist, uh, uh, Harry, right, Harry Baines. Yeah, yeah. And um and you sort of wrote it in, in a way to say, well, let, let me sort of tell you a story, and along the way, I'll hopefully teach you some lessons. What made you decide to approach the book that way? Well, there's a couple things. Uh, this, uh, like every one of these answers always comes with a story. So everybody, you could just mute me for a minute. But I was speaking well, we'll, at a we'll sit back. I was speaking at a conference in Fort Lauderdale, one of the first money shows I ever spoke at, and I brought a Barbie dollhouse and a sle and a sledgehammer, <laughs> and I had a Ken and a Barbie, and I was like, I put Ken like sitting at a computer and Barbie downstairs, and. Then I demonstrated, you know, what it's what it's like to your your entire life, like damaging your entire life by holding open losing trades, and you can you get the picture. It's like a very Gallagher esque type of thing, and I'm smashing this. And this is at a money show. Like the, the money show was horrified. The money show right. was absolutely horrified. There's like 400 people in the room, and right. currency trading was huge at the time. And at the end of the presentation, this guy comes up to me and he says, uh, his name was Kevin, and he said, I work for John Wiley and Sons, and I want you to write a book. And I thought, okay, no, I mean, <laughs> I'm like done. Uh, right. And I grew up reading Ogmandino and I read the two minute manager when I was 13 years old. And I remember reading those books, those fables about success or the greatest salesman in the world, the greatest miracle in the world, all those Ogmandino books, um, Illusions by Richard Bach, probably the greatest, greatest self-help book written of all time. And it's been a major influence on my life. And I just said, that's what I'm going to write. So- right. And I went to law school. I wrote my own book contract and, and I asked for, I don't know what, it's the thought of the highest number I could think of. It's $10,000 <laughs> advance or something like that. He's like, okay. And I, so I wrote the book and then they just, they said, we're not, we're not publishing this. This is not a trading <laughs> book. This is not a trade book. And we fought for a year to get the book published right. and they finally published it with the brown cover. <laughs> They're like, we're, we're going to sell this book, but we're going to sell as few copies as possible. And, we're going to um, wrap it in a paper bag. Just we're going to wrap it in a paper bag. And then, okay, so the second part of that story really quickly is they weren't going to promote it. They were embarrassed by what I did. I think I'm the, it's the proudest thing that I've ever done. It's the real story of how I actually made money written as a fictional tale. Right. But they, so the night before it went on sale, I sent an email out and said, if you buy 62 copies or 61.8 copies, fib, fib number or whatever, yeah. you buy 62 copies, which costs $2,400 from Amazon, I will fly to see you. You give me the books. We invite a bunch of people to come. We do a little seminar. We give a book away to everybody that comes. We do it for free. And all you gotta do is buy 60 copies of the book or whatever. I thought maybe two people will do it. I woke up 50 people bought wow. 62 copies of my book and it shot up, you know, like I, I right. gamed the system or whatever. <laughs> and um, you know, as long as they actually bought them, that works. So we ended up going in a bunch of those cities. We ended up going to Barnes and Noble 
and I would reverse steal the book. I would take these copies and I would put them on the, the, the business bestsellers shelf. I would just bring the books. <laughs> and I got a phone call from John Wiley and Sons and they're like, you're the worst. You are the worst <laughs> author. You're the worst person. You're the worst writer. You're like, Barnes and Noble is pissed at us because they're skewing books for sale that don't exist in the store. And they're like, people are just, everything is just in pan. It's absolute pandemonium. I'm like, <laughs> I mean, are you selling copies? And they're like, oh yeah, the book's selling great now. I'm like, well, just, <laughs> you know, call, call me back. Who this? I've changed, new number. I'm just like, goodbye. <laughs> so. and, there, and there goes your illustrious book writing career. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So. Well, let's talk trading then. So, okay, sounds great. <laughs> so um, one of the things that, that I, I really have liked about what you've said all along your journey is generally that... Um, you know, sort of a, a almost a kiss philosophy, mm -hmm. right? That that you don't necessarily have to get super super fancy with this. Use a common sense trading approach. So, but you but you've actually evolved through like a lot of us. It seems like you've evolved through a few strategies to come to that. Like sure. I know when I started, I started like you know more's better, right? So I'm going to put every freaking indicator I can find on there. And then you get these spaghetti charts that like I can barely figure out what, where the actual price candles are yes. amongst all the indicators. I'm like, all right, something's got to break here. And right now it's my brain. So let's fix it. So how, yeah, exactly. how, how did you get to where you are and what is your primary trading strategy today? Okay. Well, I'm a huge fan of the 80-20 rule. As I'm sure your listeners are familiar that most of the positive results you get in your life are derived from a minority of your efforts. So th there's usually one thing that makes the most difference. And if you concentrate on that one thing, you get the biggest amount of returns. And it's, it's, it's a pretty easy lesson to understand. And it's true for, if you just look at your life, you get most of your results from a, you know, a small number of your efforts. And if you can find out what those are, then you scale that up. And I read, again, I was just a nerd kid. I read this book, the 80-20 principle when I was in high school or whatever. And it just had this huge influence on me. And I was, by the time I started trading, I was obsessed with this concept that if you find one driving factor, and there are lots of driving factors, right. um, stocks with good F and Z scores tend to go up over time. If you don't know what that is, just Google it. You know how to Google. Um, stocks that break 52 week or all time highs tend to go a little bit higher. Like it's not, we're not talking about ultra super giant rocket science here. Right. Um, stocks have been trending for months and have moved more than 30% over a week period of time, tend to retrace and then continue. Like these are all very, 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 really simple principles. And they're all trading strategies. That's an entire trading strategy. And so I, I just started building strategies that were very much like that. And right. to this day now, I believe that all market activity is, all market activity can be explained by the sentence, stocks are always moving from one level to another. That everything, all the stock market is, is moving from one level to another. And if you can draw levels and if you can learn to plot levels, you'll be shocked at how bad you can be at it. If you just think of it in terms <laughs> of like, it's moving, is it moving to a lower level? Is it moving to a higher level? Is it, you know, what's, so then you ask, is it moving lower or higher? Right. Is there a trade then to the next level? Is there enough room between here and the next level for me to get a trade where my profit is bigger than my loss? Like all of, all of what I do now is a version of that in short. And then I'm happy to describe it in as much detail as you or your listeners would like. 
Well, I mean, I, I, I'd love to get a little bit more. So when you're trading the levels, tell me, you know, what, what, what signals you use. And, and is this, by the way, intraday or are we talking sort of more swing trading? What's your, what's your primary stuff? I'm almost exclusively now a day trader, which okay. I, I probably have a hundred episodes of a radio show from the time when I was on the radio before I was thrown off the radio for calling someone a body part. <laughs> I probably have a hundred episodes of a show that went out to hundreds of thousands of people where I said that day trading is a scam. And now I, um, it's very simple. I, I wake up in the morning, I look at what's moving pre-market, either down or up. If most stocks are moving down, I'm looking to short stuff. If most stocks are moving up, which they have been for a year, I'm looking to buy. Yep. And I'm looking for stocks to break their pre-market highs and continue to another level above, which if it's at all-time highs, I use just FIB extensions. And if it's not at all-time highs, I use previous highs and lows for months or weeks or years before. Um, and also, if the stock opens much lower than its pre-market high, I will trade to the pre-market high. Like it, it's re, it wants to regain or re-reach that level that it had as a pre-market high. And tradingview.com, you right-click on the chart, you go to settings and you show extended hours on thinkorswim, show extended hours on most charting platforms. You just freely choose to show extended hours and you can see where the market was moving pre-market. And those are my levels. That My first level is to see if it breaks a pre-market level. If it's a stock that's been dropping and it's going to gap open lower, I'm looking to short it as it breaks and moves further down. If it's a stock that's been trending up then I'm looking to buy it on a break of that pre-market high, or if it opens much further below the pre-market high, I'm trying to just trade it back to that pre-market high. And I'll do a scan in the morning, I'll get 30 or 40 stocks. And then by 10, 20 minutes before the market opens, I look at the daily chart and I just, I just look at the daily charts and I say, is it trending up on the daily? Like from left to right, All right. simple as that. Like, like how far back and well, I don't, don't even worry, is it moving up? Like, it's pretty obvious. Like, if it's not obvious, it's not trending up. Right. And if it's obviously trending up, if it's about to break an all-time high, especially if it's about to break a 52-week high, especially, I'm going to buy. That's Then I'm going to end up with four stocks. And those are the only four I look at. Um, Party City was today. Um, that's I did exactly that stuff. It was going to open higher. Then it closed on Friday. Um, I waited. It, it opened pretty far below its pre-market level. I bought it stopped out, broke its pre-market highs, bought it again and rode that up a bit. And it didn't have any levels. No, it had a level from like a year ago. That was a target. And um, that was it. So do you have any, uh, so in terms of selection criteria, you're looking for ones, do they have to be gapping by a certain amount or as long as they're moving higher or lower? That is you're such a great question. That is the greatest. I thought for sure that that mattered and it doesn't matter. Um, what matters is it's got to have, it's got to trade enough shares for me to trade. So I'll, I'll, I use, I, all of my trades are 20, $20,000 or less of my capital. So if it's $10 stock, I'll buy 200 shares. If it's, you know, and so forth. If it's a right. dollar stock, I'll buy 20,000 shares or whatever it is. It just has to trade enough that I can trade as many shares as that. It has to, it, I has to have a million shares a day in volume, at least. Um, volume has to be way higher than what it was a day ago or two days ago. It's gotta be something that's really attracting a lot of interest. Those are questions that are more important than how much it's gapping by. Sometimes a stock will gap yeah. by two pennies 
two pennies and then it'll go 400%. Right. Nothing's really going 400% right now though. Like everything kind of calmed down a little bit, but stuff will move. I just want the market to move 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 cents, maybe a dollar if I'm lucky. I don't need it to move that far. Right. Right. Okay. Well, and, and th that's very fair. You know, we tend to uh, uh, look at, you know, to try and filter the, the stocks, we, we find them with criteria. So that's why we you normally use like a 2% gapping rule. But you're right. There are things like, you know, I, people like to joke, I happen to be an AMD trader. It wasn't intentional. It just happened. I trade AMD for some reason every day, because almost every day, because I'm comfortable with it. In fact, at right at this moment, I'm in a day trade with AMD because, you know, it, it's, it's my go-to. And yeah, many days it's not you know, it doesn't it's so cool. Like you, like you understand it, like you have a well, sense for it now that comes over time. I, you know, that that's a good question. I'd like to think so, but I, as I warn people, it also comes with downsides because sometimes I think I know it better than I do. Right. There's okay. the risk of thinking, I know this stock. That's when I tend to get myself into trouble because that's when I'll, as we say, Christmas tree it. I'll trade it like 16 times because, you know, for instance, it'll be clearly moving down. But I'm like, you know, I know this is going to go long and I'll trade it long and I'll lose and I'll get stopped out. And I do it again and again because I know like this time, this time it's right. So, yeah, yeah. yeah you do have to be careful that you don't uh, <laughs> you don't think you know more than you actually do. Or the market has a way of showing us that we're not as smart as we think we are. Yeah, the market, they, you know, the market will have a humble people. <laughs> the, the market will humble. You will be humbled. Um, yeah. Yes. So, so, you know, when you, when you pick your entry, again, it doesn't matter if it's gapping. It just matters if it's moving. I, I love that. And yeah. I appreciate it. There's you, a bunch you, of stocks that don't have pre-market trading. So there's a right. bunch of stocks that don't trade pre-market and you don't know about those until the market opens. There's, that's a whole universe of stocks. I could probably... I could, right. I could probably do better trading those because there's a lot of pent up desire to trade those stocks in the morning and all those orders are lining up. Right. My friend Tim does that. Um, I don't do that because I can't see where it's been overnight. I got to see where it's been overnight. Um, that's a really, not, that's a big factor for me as well. And you saying that actually, I just realized I made some assumptions that I probably shouldn't. So I'm assuming that you are trading U.S. commodities and uh like on the u.s markets yeah yeah and i'm trading I'm, tr I'm trading stocks that generally are trading for under 20 bucks under 20 bucks okay i really and love stocks trading under 10 dollars. i love stocks trading under 10 bucks okay and do you care if they're nasdaq versus uh versus nisey stocks or american stock exchange will you, you take all comers or yeah the american stock the, the american scam exchange i um <laughs> well, they, i they like have, they have this etfs good, I, on there I should I should run some numbers, but um, they're usually listed. To yeah, it's funny you bring this up. This has been on my mind for a while. OTC stocks are really tempting because they trade for under a dollar in a lot of cases, mm. or under two dollars in a lot yeah. of cases, and there seems to be so much potential with those. But I don't really do very well on those. I don't mm. have a lot of experience where I've just crushed it on those. I did have a couple of good trades on some stocks trading for less than a penny, like less than five pennies. Like, like I've had some of that, but most of them really? are going to be trading for five to $10. Okay. I can't yeah. handle those. They, yeah, but you're right. Cause you can make a lot of money on it, but you, you can also disappear. <laughs> yeah. There's just no, it's just no way to, there's no way to like conceptualize what's happening. It's like looking at your mitochondria. Like, it's like, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand things in this level of detail. This is too far. So. Too much. Anyway, I, and I, I brought up the exchanges because uh, when you said you, you need to have 
pre-market action. I've noticed that like uh, NASDAQ stocks just tend to have better pre-market activity on average than would a, a New York Stock Exchange, a, a NYSE stock. So, yeah, I don't even look anymore like, oh, and so Party City today was a New York Stock Exchange stock. So right. um, I so don't tend to look at it. I do, I do make one mistake that I make a lot. And yes, I would be thrilled to hear from all of you on social media about how to change this. Hopefully that was that sarcasm was evident. I tend to type in the wrong number of shares all the time. So I'm trying to trade a thousand and I'll trade ten thousand. I'm trying to trade ten thousand and I'll trade a hundred. I'm I have I really I have a checklist. I double mm -hmm. check it and sometimes I just I, I, I still make the mistake and it's fine. Nobody's nobody nobody's gotten hurt from any of this. But um that's why I like trading stocks under ten dollars or five to ten dollars is because whatever happens I'm. You know, I'm not dealing with a stock that's going to move forty dollars, right. like Tesla or something like that. Here's here's where everybody can post about using hotkeys and how you can you know program it and anyways. right. I love your advice. It's so welcome. <laughs> I'd be so happy to hear about how I can correct my my weaknesses. It, I do I do think a lot about that, but um I, I do I do that's one mistake I make, and it, it, the more I talk about it, it's like the worse it gets. <laughs> so. There I'm go. definitely going to trade the right number of shares today. <laughs> so, <laughs> and off you go. Yeah. So talk to me about risk management then, since you, you bring up trading the wrong number of shares. How how do you manage your risk on, on an individual trade? So um, as with every honest trader in the world, um, if we could each get back our five worst losing trades, we'd, it would be life-changing. It would be right. life-changing. I lost... $22,000 last year on Wayfair, um, typing in the wrong trade size, was up $1,000 almost instantly, like really quickly. And then rode that thing for 20 days, lost $22,000. And I, and I was like stubborn and pigheaded the whole time. $1,000 between a thousand and 1500 bucks. That's my stop out. That's my number. Right. And so what I will do is if I'm smart, which on a lot of days I do okay, I will trade a lower number of shares so that it takes longer for it to get to a thousand dollar loss if things go wrong. It gives me some time to think about it and reflect. So I can go in on another trade because my max trade size is $20,000 worth of shares. Mm -hmm. So if I go in with 10 grand, I've got 10 grand to play with. I can add to a winning position. I could even add to a losing position, which, you know, Jack Schwager, who I know is one of your guests, like uh, Jack Schwager would be, you know, screaming yeah. at the television, <laughs> you know, throwing rocks at the, the podcast speaker. Okay. You know, like, Jack Schwager and I both put our pants on two legs at a time, I'm sure. Like all of us are the same. Like we we all have these platitudes that we believe in, but I do add to losing positions. As long as I haven't used my total available trading capital, and as long as I'm not at my stop, I'm fine. Right. There's no there's no reason why I wouldn't like something better at a discount. So as long as I don't lose a thousand, more than a thousand to fifteen hundred bucks, I stay in that trade. Once I get to those numbers, it's over. Right. And, you know, we, we talk actually about that a lot, the difference between uh, trade manage, like trade management, I'll say, and averaging down. Averaging down, yes, cardinal sin, don't do it, right? That implies, that that's sort of the $22,000 loss you had, even though in that case, it sounds like it was just a buy and hold. You turned a short-term trade into a long-term trade. and I just was another, talking about that today. Yeah. There, there's another sin, but anyways, but... But yeah, averaging down on a trade means that you're pretty much at your max loss. And you said, you know what? I still think it's going to go up. Let me just add more and I'll get back to break even faster. 
that's a cardinal sin. But if you're within your stop loss, then I'm okay with that as a strategy, as long as you, you like you said, you've got yeah. a, you've got a max loss and you're managing. And I don't, good. and I don't do a lot of it. I don't, I don't do a lot of adding to positions at all, winners right. or losers. I don't do it. Like if I start out with half my position size, I'll generally just. I don't, I don't mess around. I, I just, I'll just like run with it. If I'm adding to a position, there, there are very, very specific criteria that are met. It's almost like, I don't know if you have ever felt like this. I sometimes feel like in order to know where the market's going, I have to take a losing trade. Like in order to get a feel for what's happening, I got to get in there. I got to get in there and take a shot. I got to get in there and see what the court feels like and see what the environment's like and see how the balls, I got to get a sense for it. So it's not uncommon for me to, to trade a hundred shares or a, a one share or whatever, and just get a feel for things like just get right. started and, and going. It's not uncommon for me. And then that eases me in, um, in the same way that everybody's a better golfer when they can take their second shot first. Mm. Yeah. You, ticket, ticket to the game, I guess. Right. The, the, I, right. I can understand that. Yeah, yeah, so I take a mulligan it. on the first one. Just don't care. Like, not caring <laughs> is such a great strategy for. for you know, the, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I I didn't know we'd go here in this conversation, but you know, it, it, it's funny that um, people talk about if I could trade dispassionately about taking emotion out of it. I I think that that's not the key. I think more it's what you just said about it, it's sort of the not caring. It, it's the I can. It's being uh, relaxed right? And, and easing into it. It doesn't mean that you don't care if you win or lose in an ultimate sense. I mean, sure, the, the, the money's meaningful, but if it's, but if it's not such that you're, you're forcing yourself to make wrong decisions or decisions in the heat of the moment, that's where you really get your edge. Uh, because, that. because that's where you're able to say, you know what, like, again, I'm playing an odds game. Like we can sit here when we're not in trades and say, you know, we all get trading is a, is an odds game, right? I'll win some, I'll lose some. And as long as I can manage the losses tightly and I can, you know, take advantage of the winners and blah, blah, blah. Right. And I get all the, the numbers, right. It all works out. But when you're in that immediate trade, the problem is we tend to care too much, right? Oh my God, this is losing. I got to get out right now. And that's usually when what happens, right? It immediately reverses and goes in your direction. You're like, ah, damn it. I did it again, right? Yeah, very, that's so true. I, I love what you're saying. I love it. There's um, Jim Collins, Good to Great, one of the greatest mm -hmm. trading books ever written that isn't about trading. There's a theory that he proved to be true in his own whatever that an executive that was leading a, success, a great company said that in the big picture, they knew everything was going to be fine. Mm -hmm. But in the small picture, they would have attention to detail and deal with problems and have emotion, whatever. But there would always be this undying faith in the, an optimism that they would figure it out, that we right. will figure this out. And I think that also like Jim Collins and Rick Sanchez from Rick and Morty, like the greatest television <laughs> show of all time. There's a, there's an episode. Don't watch it. Anybody, especially if you're, especially if you have some sensitivities, do not watch the ABCs of Beth. There's this episode and toward the end of this episode, he says to his daughter, he goes, um, when you realize that nothing matters, the universe is yours. When you, when you stop making everything the biggest deal in the world, the universe is yours. When you, dis, when you, when you remove this, this sort of, it's all or nothing, or it's God, it's all riding on this trade, or whatever it is. And, and the fastest way to get that attitude as a trader is just reduce your trade size 
and they're like, well, I can't pay my mortgage with that. And it's like, well, you're not paying your mortgage with trading right now. Like, so it's not like we're taking it down a level. Reduce your trade size. And it's almost like everything just suddenly, it's the fastest way to improve my trading or anybody's trading as quick as possible is to reduce your trade size. It's the fastest way because all of a sudden it doesn't matter anymore. Right. It's like, instead of losing a hundred dollars back and forth at a clip, you're losing a dollar and you're like, doesn't matter. And you're almost not interested in it. And you walk away from a winning trade. You just let it go. You just let it go. And if it runs against you a little bit, you don't care about cutting it off either. There's not so much riding on it. And I think we just, we take these trades that are like, everything's one trade's going to make or break me. If that's the case, then I'm in a lot of trouble. Right. Um, so. Yeah, no, I, that, that, you're absolutely right. We have to put it to a level where, as you say, yeah, the, the, the future of your trading career or of your life does not, you know, does not depend on this next trade entry. When can so, I get into GameStop? Like, I don't know, yeah. like, six months ago? Like, I don't know. Like, it's not, who cares? Like, yeah. who cares? There's endless opportunity. There's never going to be another filling Bitcoin games yeah. up. There's never going to be another one of those. Nobody cares. It doesn't matter. You're not going to get it. It's over. Uh, but Party City moved 40 cents today. And that's possible every single day. Yeah, so if I yeah. stop looking for GameStop and I just look for Party City or whatever, I'm going to be fine. Yeah, well, it's funny. Like I, I mentioned a few minutes ago, you know, I, I traded AMD today and I got a $1 move on it. I'm like, you know, that's it's boring, <laughs> but I don't care. Boring, boring profit is good for me. <laughs> a dollar move, a, a dollar move is like when my girlfriend said that she would go out for me. But with that, but like when, when she said she would, I was like, what did you just say? Did you, what, what did you say? What? <laughs> that's awesome. Like you asked me out. Did you just ask me out? Like, <laughs> you know this is me, right? Like when the stock moves a dollar, I'm like, did I just, am I living in one of those movies where I'm inside the body of the guy on The Bachelor? Like, is that, what, what's happening now? All That's right. how I feel. Well, there you, go. You, you appreciate, like you learn to appreciate a dollar move is yeah. stunning. And yeah. it's like, wow, a dollar moves. Those happen every day all over the place. They do. Great. So, so so on your uh, so we talked about risk management and and how you keep that under control. So let's talk about how you take profits then. So you, you yeah, and you mentioned hey you know you take a smaller trade size you can let it ride. So are you you know all out when you hit your target? Are you taking you know partials along the way? How do you manage profit? Yeah, with no disrespect to anybody who uh, scales out of winning trades. I just I just don't do it. I just like I used to say. Um, Half off is for Kmart. Like, like <laughs> half off is a discount. Okay. There's nothing wrong with it, and I, I suppose it's a great. I'm all I'm all in or all out. Like I either like it enough um, to be in the trade with with a minimum trade size, and I and I either do or don't like it. And if I still like it, I'm in it with a with a trailing stop or the same stop, but I'm in it. If I don't like it anymore, if I'm thinking about getting out, there is this thing with me. Or if I'm thinking about getting out, it's done. Hmm. It's, it's, there's the, after 21 years, if there's one thing that I would say is more intuitive, it's, it hits a level and I've drawn those levels ahead of time and I get alerts sent to my phone and pop up on the screen. It's done. That's it. And I look, it's easier to run a sprint than it is a marathon. And right. a stock can sprint 20 cents, 40 cents, or a dollar much more easily than it can run 20. And so I don't care if Party City goes to $100 a share today and, and Amazon buys it. I don't care. I don't care. Party City is dead to me. It's over. The trade is closed. I'm done with it. What have you done for me lately? Come back tomorrow. But it's all, I'm all, I'm all out. 
It hits that wow. level. I make my money. Sometimes it's 500 bucks. Sometimes it's 700 bucks. Sometimes it's a thousand bucks. Sometimes it'll get a jump much higher and, and give me something more. But once it hits that level, I, I cannot tell every single massive losing trade I've ever had, every single one of them, all of them with no exceptions was, was a perfectly acceptable thousand dollar win early in the process. Every single one of them that, that you let go. Yeah. Like none of my, none of my massive losing trades went bad immediately because there's no greed. It's like, this thing sucks. It right. sucked immediately. The ones that get me are ones that were, that were immediately positive, And then I just got, which is what it became a mindless blob of, of greed. Right. It's um, fascinating how we're, we're, we're so colored by our trading history. So like I partial all the time and, and, you know, because I've got a very different psychological uh, perspective on it because that's what saves me. And that's what keeps me right. You're, you're a game. healthy person, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, really, but it honestly is just a different perspective on background. Like there's nothing wrong with the all or nothing trade. In fact, you're, you're probably, you, you maximize your average winner. Like I've done the math before where, you know, if I just held my trades for like twice as long and waited for my original goal, I, I could like double or triple my results. The problem is my actual winning percentage would drop to about half what it is now. And I just know, because I tried it psychologically, I start screwing things up because I can't wait that long, right? So, you know, it's one of those where, you know, it just, it, it depends on you. There's no right way to do this. It completely depends on what you personally are yeah. comfortable with and what you can execute against. Yeah, the right way to do this is to not lose a lot of money. Like that's the <laughs> well, right way to go. do it. True. Like, don't lose money. Don't let a don't let a small loss become a giant loss. Don't ever lose more than whatever is acceptable for you. That's it. Like, once you do that, it's almost like everything else falls into place after that. Mm. Like, if the, when when the danger that you will lose your entire account is gone, you're there's suddenly this wide open expanse of success is available to you, and you can do partial profits or full profits or take more than one trade every day or add to a winner or once you know, once you've established that you're not going to let a trade blow your account and somehow you've reached whatever level of maturity that is, or you're, you, you've, I like to say when you've hit rock bottom or you've become so tired of yourself that you're ready to change. And that's like, if you still have money left when that happens, you're still got some money in your account when that happens, you've probably crossed the, the level. It's not some, that level is, isn't, I learned my strategy or I got it down or I, I, I crossed a dollar amount in profits. The, none of those are milestones that make any difference at all. The only milestone that matters is this one where you're like, somehow you've crossed the line and you will never let yourself lose a significant amount of money ever again. And once that happens, it's like lots of other stuff fall into place. Wow. Well, I think that's uh, that's certainly good advice for people. It's uh, and and you're right that that happens to a lot of us. Where unfortunately, we have to see that you called it rock bottom. Let's you know, but we yeah. have to see the depths of despair in our trading right. <laughs> before you can finally uh, make it happen. I, I I like to use the the hand on the stove analogy because it's it's like yeah. a little kid, right? You can tell a little kid a thousand times, don't touch it, but until they touch it and realize, oh, it actually is hot, and damn, that hurt. 
yeah you know there, you don't really learn the lesson for yourself and i you'd think we're more evolved as adults in trading but i find almost all of us have to go through that same process and in you know the analogy yeah. in this case is that's the big loss that's the one that you knew you should have got out of but your ego didn't allow you to you know you convinced yourself it was going to come back and finally it became so painful you had to take your hand off the stove or you had to get out of the trade and then you sat back and like what i don't understand what why did i just do that that's, that's when you that's when you get introspective enough to say, all right, so what am I going to do differently? Because I don't, I don't want to do that again. Yeah, that's great. I love it. I love what you're saying. I spent, so like most of us, we got the actual hand on the stove. Like we did that. Most of us did that. Yeah. Um, and I like to repeat, like in my mind, like I'm big on visualization. It's a huge part of my life is I will spend time watching. Now we can, you can all just, Stop listening if you want to believe anything that I've said so far, because what I'm about to tell you is going to ruin all my credibility. <laughs> but I will spend a lot of time visualizing, like as if I'm watching a movie of my own life, and I will spend time watching a movie where I watch myself, like close my eyes and watch myself watching myself in a movie where I make that wrong decision. Right. And I watch the consequences. Like I watch a movie of me adding to a losing position. I watch the mm. expressions on my face. I watch myself going about my business, daily checking my phone, not sleeping at night, waking up and it's worse. And I watch that movie and it's, I, I can feel it right now. Like I can feel like I can get to rock bottom and be exhausted with that type of behavior without doing it. Cause my right. mind, if you play that movie long enough, my mind, my simple, <laughs> my simple ape brain of Rob Booker does not know the difference between that and actual experience, if I play it enough times, it doesn't mm. know it. And so, um, and I'll do lots of, we could, maybe you can come on my show sometime and we can talk about this. I do lots of those kinds of exercises, positive and negative, um, that have made a huge difference in my life. Yeah, you know, the, the visualization techniques, uh, you know, athletes use them for a reason, right? There's a reason why they replay that tape and they picture themselves scoring the goal or, or making the move or, you know, winning the track meet. It, it really does work. And I'll tell you, I spent years as a corporate executive and, uh, you know, I heard about that stuff, but that, that doesn't apply in a business. You don't apply that to money matters. And I got to tell you, when I started trading, if you had told me several years ago when I started day trading full time that I'd be doing visualization techniques and affirmations and things like that. I say like, that's crazy. That's all hippy dippy stuff that, that I don't take part yeah. in, but I'm telling you, it makes a difference and it works. So yeah, there's an episode of Scott Adams, the psycho creator of Dilbert to bring this full circle. Cause you mentioned Dilbert at the beginning. I did. Um, that, that guy is a total psycho. He, has a, <laughs> he, has he worked a, at HP, right? I, I, maybe that'll do it, do it to anybody. Yeah, he worked at, he worked at the, I think he didn't, he, yeah. Didn't he also work at Pacific gas and electric or something like oh, some could be, I don't know. friggin' like utility, um, <laughs> where they lobotomized him and put him in a cubicle. But, um, the, the man changed my life. Like for, hmm all seriousness, there's an episode of his podcast that repeats the lesson that is written that he wrote a long, long time ago. And it's about affirmations. And if you just Google Scott Adams podcast affirmations, after you've listened to every episode of this show, listen to that episode and he talks about affirmations. And that has every single thing in my life that you, that anyone thinks is enviable or good is a result of, of, that exact process with no exceptions. So to me, whether it's self-fulfilling prophecy or I don't care, I don't care anymore. It doesn't matter. I'm just going to keep doing it. Okay.
Well, there you go. Something, something to go listen to. All right. So we're going to try something different here. I want to go into our uh, five-minute rapid-fire question segment. The, the challenge is to, uh, I can ask the questions fast. We'll, we'll see how, uh, how tough they are to answer. So, all right, Rob, you ready? Ready. Okay, let's go for it. Um, what would be the, what is the one strategy that a trader should never use? Uh, looking on Twitter for trade ideas. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> um, how should, uh, uh, how, what's the minimum uh, account size that a trader should have to get started? $500. Interesting answer. Okay. Can I ask you why? I'm going to pause there for a second there. Because I think you can, most people can lose $500 or spend $500 without talking to their spouse. It's a, it's a level okay. where if you lost it, you, you wouldn't have to apologize profusely to your spouse. I care about whoever is married to you or in a partnership with you out there <laughs> listening. Um, and also it's a, it's a, it's an amount of money you could get back door dashing. Like you could, you could sign up for DoorDash and get the money back. And I will say if you blow up a $500 account and I'm not joking, I'm not joking for 21 years, I've been consistent. If you lose, if you, if you blow your entire $500 account, you have to deliver pizzas or now do DoorDash to get it back. It will, you will never. <laughs> wow. Okay. You will, it will be a less like imagine you don't just pop another 500 bucks in there. You go, you go sign up on DoorDash, you get in your car and you go deliver like what a burger to yeah. people until you make that money back. And then the next time you start blowing your account, you're like, I'm not going back to driving around at you, midnight. <laughs> and we have a trade in our room that does something similar where he punishes himself if he, you know, fails to do certain things. So anyway, I'm glad I asked the question. Okay, interesting. There you go. All right. What's the one book that all traders should read? The one thing by Gary Keller and okay. Gay Hendricks, right? Can, so, yeah, whatever. Okay. Can anybody trade? Sure. Yeah. All right. Um, if there is one thing you could tell a trader starting today that they should do immediately, what is it? Lower their trade size. Doesn't matter what it is. Okay. Irrelevant. Like if only if no, it's lower your trade size. Uh, I'm already you know, trading one share. All right. Trade a fractional share. Good. Next question. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> stop badgering me. <laughs> Lower it by any amount. Lower your trade size. Lower your trade. It's life changing. It's okay. life changing. Okay. Uh, on on that, are you an advocate of simulated trading or live all the way? I'm an advocate of a, a, a disgusting amount of simulated trading in practice, like like Kobe Bryant at one o'clock in the morning shooting free throws, or Michael Jordan being the first one on the court. Or like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a giant proponent of, yeah, huge proponent of it. Massive, ma like endless amounts of it. You can never do enough of it every single day, b b uh, twice as much practice time as whatever time you're sitting in front of the screen to trade okay. more than that even. Right. Okay. All right. So I'm going to switch questions to some to get to know Rob Booker here a little bit better. So best trade ever. Uh, British pound, Swiss franc, uh, 2011. Uh, I took a run with my girlfriend at the time. We were running in Olympiad Park in Mission Viejo, California. And I was sweating my all off. And um, I turned to her and I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a $164,000 trade on the British pound, Swiss franc. And three weeks later, I mean, I built that position. It was, it was a nightmare 
to uh, to do it. But that was the best trade I ever took. Fantastic. Okay. Wow. Long um, time ago. So that's like that's a long time ago. I don't take trades that big anymore. I don't. I don't. I'm not deploying eight million dollars of capital right. like, <laughs> anymore. So <laughs> <laughs> you've come back to earth and realized some sanity. I like it. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Favorite color. I have an orange car. Definitely orange. Orange. I thought you were going yeah. green. Anyway, all right, okay. <laughs> um, I dated somebody. I dated somebody for a while. And she goes, "I don't like orange. Your car. I don't. I don't like that color." I'm like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm deleting your number." Like, oh, so that's a deal breaker. Okay. <laughs> you're done. Well, there you go. You're we done. learned something inadvertent there. I guess we're not riding in the car anymore. I guess your loser boyfriend can pick you up in an Uber X. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, um, So uh, uh, where do you live? Uh, The the Woodlands, Texas, outside of Houston. Oh, beautiful Texas. That's fantastic. So, okay. Um, And... um, I guess the last question I, I'll, I'll ask you on this is um, wh- why, like, if you could go back, would you still trade? Would you still pick it as your career? Whoa. <laughs> I always no love one's ever asked that before. I, I, I love asking them because I, I always get mad at my wife when she says, well, if you could go back and change, like, I wouldn't change anything because, like, goodness knows, my kids might not be the same life. Like, I don't know what the universe would deal to me, but I love asking other people. So if you Hell, could go yeah, back. I'd change. Yeah, yeah, I'd change. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do this again. I've already done it. <laughs> Even if I had no memory of having done it. Like, ah, hell so yeah. You'd change yeah, it just be... for uh, something, like, something new. Hell yes, I would do it. Absolutely. Like, two years Three years from now, I could imagine. Well, not that soon, but I. I oh yeah, for absolutely yes, absolutely, I would do something different. I would, okay. absolutely that zero. That, yeah, I've never been asked that question before, but yes, sure. Okay, yeah. <laughs> it's like I can see the wheels turning. It's like I almost smell the smoke burning as you're thinking there. It's like <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd, I would I would do something that you can't even. I would like sell life insurance <laughs> and just have the best time ever doing it. Yes. Yes, I would. All yes. Right. I would write teen paranormal romance fiction. Yes, I would do it. Yes. Okay. I don't know if he's going to kill. I don't know if he's going to bite me or wow. kiss me. Yeah, wow. I would totally do that. I, I was not expecting the answer, but that's why you asked the questions. I guess that's All why right. I'm on your show. Cause you there never you know go. what I'm going to say. No, I absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Yes. I would change. Absolutely. Okay. No well, question. Bef- before you go write those uh, teenage uh, vampire romance novels, um, Rob, where can people find you online? Uh, robbooker.com. And I would, I would even experiment with robbooker.com slash bootcamp, which is a, an inexpensive way of uh, learning everything that I do um, start to finish, you know, like the setup, the scans, the charts, getting set up with the brokerage account, everything else. Um, that's a good place to start. Great. Well, it's good. Well, thanks so much for being here today. We appreciate it. It's been very entertaining. (laughs) Thanks, Peter. It was great to be here. All right. Have a great day.